Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that as we struggle with the issue of work and our busyness, that your word will elude We'll be able to apply uh, the lessons that you, our Creator and Maker, have taught us about how we should live in this world before you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when I got uh, married, <coughs> I had a Christian friend who was my best man. He was a really wonderful Christian brother, and actually, as a wedding present, what he did was... Oh, yeah, not yet. But anyway, as a wedding present, what he did was he actually painted my flat for free, which uh, I really didn't expect him to, but he did. He was a really nice guy, he was an architecture student, and he was a very committed Christian at university. But I really worried about him because I think he had a problem in terms of understanding about work and busyness. And I remember Joshua Ng, uh, the guy who was uh, preaching last week, he was uh, together with me, and he was the ministry leader at the university we were at, and I remember sharing with him how I was worried that he, my friend, was getting burnt out. And surely enough, uh, we, we, our fears were founded and he did actually get burnt out. And today, uh, he, uh, he hasn't finished his architecture degree yet, and this was like, what, 30-something years ago. And uh, he's not really involved in ministry anymore. But really thankfully, he's still a very strong Christian, he's married, he has children. But I think that at that time, uh, what had happened during that particular season in life really affected him. And I hope that it doesn't really affect us in the same way. Because unfortunately, there are people today who uh, used to sit with us. And I've had a conversation with them where I've said, you know, I think you're working too hard or you're not taking seriously the idea of rest, the idea of going to church regularly, the idea of going to Bible study. And unfortunately, they haven't taken those uh, words of advice on board and, and now they're not at church anymore. So I think that the, the whole issue of work and busyness is something which I feel is really strong, a strongly neglected one in terms of Christians at that church. And then today I guess I'm a bit like uh, the author of Jude. Right? I feel really compelled to share, share this message with you because I think it's such an important message, especially in Singapore where we work today because work is such a big part of our lives. Okay, so where do we begin as we look at this issue of work and busyness? Well, obviously, we begin by our Creator and Maker who made, the whole, made us and made the whole uh, topic of work in our lives. So in, Hebrew, sorry, in Genesis chapter 2, right, right at the very beginning, it said, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, if we look at this passage, um, we'll be going through quite a few passages, so you can note it down, and, and if I miss anything, you come and speak to me later. But I think that we want to draw the gist of each of these passages out. The first thing we notice here, right from the very beginning, in creation, is that the role of mankind, the task that has been put before us, is to, to work, isn't it? To work the Garden of Eden was what was the role of man, and to take care of it. So fundamentally, mankind is put here on earth to work it under God, to take care of this world under God. And if you notice, if you look at that context in verse 18, 
uh, Eve was created not so much as a companion. It doesn't say, I will make a companion for Adam. I will make a friend for Adam or a partner or soulmate. Uh, Eve wasn't made for romance or for sexuality, but for, for work, isn't it? I will make a helper with Adam to, to work the garden and to take care of it. So the, 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 the thing that we learn from the beginning of creation is that men and women were made for work. We were meant to work under God to rule this world and to take care of it and to serve God. Okay, so the next slide. Okay, I've I got lots of slides today, right, for the people in the cry room. Okay, um, so mankind is meant to work uh, the world or to, to, to rule or take care of the world under God and to take care of it. Okay, so there's a... Oh, no, no, not yet, not yet. Okay, so there's a man there. Very picking for, there's actually a woman. That's the only picture I could find on my computer. Because I'm picking out the leaves, all right? Now, obviously, when we come to the New Testament, um, when we come to ourselves as disciples of Jesus, uh, has the picture changed? Has it changed from the picture of creation where we were meant to work? Well, I don't think so, isn't it? Because in the New Testament as well, uh, it says many things about how as Christians, we are to be diligent in our work. So, in Ephesians chapter 4, the next slide, it says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. And the motivation for doing work is not to earn lots and lots of money, piles of money to buy the boat or the private jet, but to have something to share with those in need, right? So, we work in order to express love to other people, which is the second commandment, right? Love other people as yourself. It then goes on in 1 Thessalonians 4, which is underneath there, to say, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may bring respect of out, the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So the motivation is very important here again. There's actually an evangelistic component to our work. The way we work, the way we actually do our business wins respect of outsiders and also to feed yourself so that you're not dependent on anybody, so you're not a slacker and actually a sponge of other people. He also goes on to say next slide in Colossians chapter 3, how slaves are to obey your earthly masters and everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Okay, so the motivation is we work because we are serving Jesus Christ. So the point I'm trying to make here, if you're following in the outline, is that our life is not centered around leisure. Okay? We, work is actually a good thing. Work is not a bad thing. Now, in the ancient world, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans actually thought that work, physical labor, working hard, was not a good thing. Uh, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, actually said that work was devoid of nobility and hostile to the perfection of character. And those, uh, those societies in the Greeks and the Romans, they actually felt that the work was done by the lower classes, right? the slaves and all those people. And when you arrived at the upper class, you spent most of your days talking about art, 
politics and philosophy. Now, unfortunately, I think that we can be caught up with that sort of leisure-centered point of view, right? Because, you know, I noticed that uh, if you go around, you know, the TGIF, so, you know, you, you just work for the weekend. We, you know, we work for the holiday. We, we basically find that work is what we do the rest of the time when we're not having leisure. So, leisure is the main thing of life. And, uh, you know, it's something that is a mundane thing that we just have to go through. But the real living, the real life, is found when you're resting on the weekend. So, you know, sometimes you read the Sunday papers, and uh, the Sunday papers has the investment section, and you sort of get the feeling that the whole aim of life is to work really hard so that you can retire when you're 40, right? And you can become idle rich, you can become like Robert Kuwasaki, what's his name? That guy anyway, so you know, you can live off the rental income, Kiwoshai, so I don't know, I, can't, I can never pronounce his name, right? So you can become like an idle rich, like, you know, you own a couple of flats and you just sit back and you play golf, you, you travel, you read, you, you, know, you, you manage your stock portfolio, but the rest of the time you're actually enjoying life. But unfortunately, that's not the biblical idea of work, you see. Work is actually something that we do not so that we can retire or rest, but work is part of life because that's what we are made of. That's what we're made for, we're made to work under God, not just so that we can make money. Okay, so the next slide. Okay, so leisure as God is not the right way of looking at life, right? The, the, the center of our life is not leisure, okay? We, we're not working so that we can just rest. Okay, so that's wrong. Okay, next slide. See, and the way the world looks at work, basically, like I said, is to earn as much money in order to retire. But work in the Bible is actually to serve God and to continue to use our work to love other people. So the focus of work is actually to serve God, not about money. Then we can continue to serve God even when we are not being paid for our work after we get older, right? So um, I just realized that uh, when James and Nola were sharing, you know, when, when, when the woman looks after the family, when she's cooking breakfast, when she's feeding the kids, when she's teaching the children, when she's cleaning the house, washing the clothes, she's not being paid for it, isn't it? There's no money involved. So is it work? Yes, isn't it? Because in God's eyes, it is still work. Because she as a mother and as a wife and looking after the house is actually looking after the world and serving God, under God and looking after this world. So in the same way, we never really stop work, even when we have money. Because our role here does not change just because we have more money. Our role here is to serve God by working in this world. So I remember meeting up with uh, this guy called David Jackman. I think you've met him before. He's come to our church to preach before. And he used to be a principal of this Cornhill training scheme in, in England, and he was very busy. And now he's much older and he's retired. And he can go off to some cottage in England to potter around his garden. Uh, that's still working, but he found that he still wants to serve in so many other ways, even though he's not really working with, for money. He's doing it because this is his way of serving in the world. In another way, I've met a Christian man who I think today is more busy than he was when he was working. 
Because his door, you know, he showed me his schedule. I'm like, wow, you're really busy, right? You know, every day he's helping out church. He goes to this uh, old folks' home, this blind people's home, and he reads their mail to them, and he does correspondence. He writes out the correspondences for them. He looks after his grandchildren. He does all these volunteer activities. He's working for God, right? He's not going out there just living off the money he's, he's saved up, but he's actually continuing to, ser- to serve God by working in this world. His, the center of his life is not leisure. The center of his life is serving God. So I think it's my personal observation that if you put leisure as your God, then you are bound to be disappointed. So I've shared before about this guy that I've played golf with before. He's a wonderfully, maybe wonderful is the wrong word, but he's a super rich guy. Uh, he was a, I don't know, I've never heard of him, but he tells me he's a, he was a famous stockbroker, probably before my time, and he retired when he was in his 50s. And he divides his day into two parts. I think I told you the story before, right? He divides his day into two parts. The day is divided by his afternoon nap in the afternoon. Right? So every morning, the first section, he spends his time playing golf or swimming or going to the gym. Then he, he schedules in a lunch sometimes with champagne. Right? Then he has his afternoon nap and then in the, at night, he schedules in then the latter part of his day going to watch a play or reading a book that he has to read or uh, you know, doing whatever he feels like doing. But for him, that's what his whole life is about. It's just leisure. I mean... He has more leisure in one day than we probably have in a month, right? But he's not a very happy person. I mean, like, because it's, it's like how much fun you get doing this day after day after day. I, I mean, there is nothing in his life. It's just, it's just empty, shallow leisure. But really, that's because he's not actually got a relationship with God and doing what God has made him to do, which is to serve and to work God, for God on, in this world. Now, if leisure being the center of life is a mistake, then I think that for some other people, the mistake is to live with work at the center of life. And I think that that's probably the truer case for many of us in Singapore. Because we define ourselves by our work. If someone asks you who you are, right? Who am I? Uh, We define ourselves by our job, teacher, accountant, engineer, whatever, we don't define ourselves by our relationship with other people. Father, mother, parent, you know, church member, things like that. We, what is my value? Right? If someone says, what is your value? Then people will usually value yourself by what you earn. How much do I earn? That is my value in life. Right? That's my value to society. So as part of my research for um, uh, coming up this sermon, I remember, uh, next slide... Next one? Oh, okay, next one. Ah, okay. So these, uh, you might have heard this guy before. I, I've heard of these people, Tom Peters and Charles Handy. They are these uh, work man- management gurus, right? And they, they said, a huge reserve of energy and commitment could be tapped by a corporation which offers its management a chance to make not just money, but meaning for people. Okay, so more and more, we see work as creating meaning for ourselves. It creates fulfillment and purpose in our lives. So work becomes 
like a god. It replaces God in terms of giving meaning and purpose and fulfillment for ourselves. The problem is work cannot deliver on its promise to deliver meaning, fulfillment and purpose in our life. See, uh, by doing so, next slide. Oh, okay. Uh, Work actually is going against what the Bible has designed work for. So work was always meant to be in service of God. But what we've done is we've taken work now and tried to give it or impute it powers beyond what it has. And all the more so when the world has actually fallen. So in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, work takes on a different nature. Okay? Work is not this pure thing that God has created for it. So to Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it, and all the days of your life, sorry, all the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, at the end of the day, what is the nature of work? If work promises to provide fulfillment, meaning, and purpose, It cannot deliver because ultimately work will fail. Work will be disappointing. Work is hard and will not yield the fruit that it promises. So you think about work. Ultimately, we will all experience failure in work. Uh, All of us may experience disappointment at work. Instead of getting your A's, you get your F's or your D's or your C's. You will experience failed projects. There's retrenchment, downsizing. There will be uh, bad yearly reviews. There will be retrenchment. There will be times where there is no fruit in your work. And then, where is the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment in that? See, remember the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by Solomon, who was the wisest man of this world, because God gave him this wisdom. Look at his reflections on work. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge and skill, And then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labours under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. See, this is a picture of of someone for whom work is the centre of life. You know, when when work overwhelms you, when work is so big that even at night you cannot sleep. Right? You can sleep on the best slumberland bed or whatever, you know, temp- whatever, and, and you just can't sleep. Why? Because work is still churning through your mind. You, 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 you cannot release yourself from the burden of work. 
And, and, and that's the character of work in this world. You toil and you strive anxiously. There's pain and grief, but, and even at, at night, your mind cannot rest. And ultimately, it's God, all gone to be given to someone else anyway. See, work, if we give it its power as a God, will, will let us down. I remember uh, <coughs> when I was working in the 80s, which was a long time ago. No, actually the 90s now. I only worked one year in the 80s, sorry. I remember IBM, right? Do you remember IBM? For those of you who remember, IBM was the biggest and most successful American company at the time. And I remember one of the boasts of IBM was that it never, ever retrenched a single worker. That was the, the, the boast of IBM. It never, ever let go of one single worker. But where is IBM today? Right, it's retrenched many, 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 many of its workers. Uh, I've known of people who've worked lifelong for places like Motorola, Compaq, uh, HP, all these companies and, and people have given their lives to their jobs and they've lost their jobs. Uh, in my previous life, I used to work as a liquidator and receiver. Basically, I just recover assets for banks and creditors. I remember when I was in Australia, we wound up this company which ran all the bus services for the state of New South Wales, which is like a company the size of Comfort Delgro. We actually wound that up. Uh, I remember we were the receiver for one of the biggest REITs in Australia. You know, so people say in Singapore, you know, REITs can never go broke, right? Real estate invest, uh, trust, they never go broke. They, they, they go broke too. I remember winding them up. My grandfather was a manager in, the, in SO for the 50s and 60s and he was getting promoted. He had a very good expatriate boss, American boss, and that American boss went back to America and he got another boss, another expatriate man. He didn't get along well with him and he lost his job and that was his only job for, the, for a lot of his life. So work cannot keep its end of the bargain because of the fall, of the way that God has brought the curse into the world because mankind has sinned. So, we cannot put leisure at the centre of our life and neither can we put work at the centre of our life. Okay, so the next slide. Uh, oh, okay. I forgot the order of the slides. Okay, I have to change it later. Okay, we'll we, we show the slide later. But So, if God is at the centre of our life, then we, we, we don't worry about work and leisure because God comes before work and leisure, right? So, we've already read this passage. I'm not going to read it again for the third time. But the, the, the passage which I really want you to focus on is in verse 32 and 33. Okay, so the next slide. Okay. It says, For the pagans run after all these things, right? They run after leisure, they run after work. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Okay, all the clothes and everything you eat and everything. But, if we are Christian, what should we do? We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So the priority of life is not work and neither is it leisure but it is God and, and it is God who rules both work and leisure in our life. Okay, so the next slide. So work is God cannot be right. Okay, next slide. But rather God rules in our life over our leisure as well as our Work. Okay, what does that mean in application? Okay, so in application, theoretically, in everything we do, we must always put God first. After we put God first, then we have work and then we have leisure. But the problem is, the next slide, this is the way that most... Actually, no, I can't, can't characterize it this way. Right? 
This is the way that some people, even as Christians, treat work and leisure, isn't it? They, they do their work first, they put all the work first, then they do all the leisure next. Actually, some people even get the other way around. They put all the leisure first, then they do their work, right? Okay? For those who watch the World Cup soccer, then they can't work the next day. Then they, go, then they look at God and His kingdom and His righteousness, which is the wrong way around, isn't it? Now, I know that uh, there are people who come to talk to me about migrating to Australia at various times when I was, you know, because I lived there for quite a while. And I always realized that this, this pattern, what they do is, they, they look for the city they want to live in, and then they look for the suburb that they want to stay in, uh, because they want to put their son or daughter in the school that they want to be close to, and then they look for a job, and then they also want to live either close to the beach, or they want to live close to the, the, the mountains. And then, as an afterthought, then they decide, oh, after I've decided all these things, school, job, city, beach, or mountain, oh, is there a hap- does it happen to have a church around the area, right? But then, if we are serious about what God's Word says, which says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, then actually that's the wrong way around. Uh, the first thing that people should be doing, they, they should always be thinking in terms of God, His kingdom, His righteousness, and then adding work and leisure next. Because what happens is, when you only think of work and then leisure and then God, what you're giving God is your leftover discipleship. Okay, so I, 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 I got another picture here for you. It took a long time to find this glass thing. Okay. So imagine your life is like this glass jar, okay? Which represents the time that you have or, you know, just your life. Lah. So if you, if, you, if you think of doing, filling up with the things of work and leisure, this is what it looks like. So next slide. So you fill out work. Obviously work is the biggest part of your day. Actually I could put sleep, but then generally work is the biggest part of your day. Then you have your leisure things, which are your hobbies. Next slide. Your TV and games, which could be smaller or bigger compared to other things. Next slide. And then, we also fill it out other things, right? You know, you maybe you after work training, do your MBA, do additional training. And then maybe some, I know some people have second jobs or they look after the investments. The next, next one. Then, you know, your children. Then you have relationships. You know, some people go after dinner drinks or you know, do other stuff. Next slide. And then you've got parents. Uh, that looks like a very full life, isn't it? Uh, but the problem is, what happened to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? What happened to God, His kingdom and His righteousness? Right? What happened to the next slide? Things like your Bible reading, your prayer, church and, and Bible study. You can't fit it in because it's all full already, isn't it? But that's the way some people organize their life. They, they fill it up with work and leisure, and there's no time for the things which are really important. So I don't know, when, if you look at this, is, is this you? Or, or is this you? So the next slide. So theoretically, we should fit in the things that are really important, which is seeking God, His kingdom, His righteousness first. And then, we are left with less space, isn't it? Because we've already fit in the most important things first. So then, the next slide. So obviously now we fit in work and there's not that much space left and so we, we have our hobbies and tea, but obviously it's smaller than before because we have to fit in the more important things. OK, 
Okay, then next slide. Then you can still fit in your children, your parents, and TV and games, but there's some things that you might have to, to leave out. So I think that when you look at what God is saying, He's saying that ultimately we must not let the most important things, which is God, be the leftover things, but rather it must be the first priorities in our life. Now, I remember this guy that I know, I'm going to give him a pseudonym, Max. Okay, pretend this guy I know, Max. Came back from Australia, university student. He came back, Bible study leader, seemed to be very serious about work. But effectively, what he was really giving the church was really his leftover time. Because over the next few years, you know, he became more and more important at work. Uh, he did an MBA, and I said, well, do you really think you can survive doing a part-time MBA and working at the same time and still coming to church? Yeah, 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 I can do it. You know, then uh, he got sent overseas to do various things. And I said, oh, you know, if you go overseas, do you think you can still survive as a Christian? Yeah, 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 I can do it. Well, today, Max is not a Christian anymore, right? Because he didn't make God as God over his work and his leisure time. He, he basically let all these things fill up his glass jar until the most important things were pushed out. And as a result, he lost Christ and he lost his salvation. So if God is God and he's established his lordship over our work and our rest, I think it must mean that the way that we think of time is very different than the way the normal world thinks of time. And I think that if we believe that God is a good God and He wants the best for us, then we must also trust God with the way that He wants us to live in His time. And I think that God has actually established for us a rhythm of work and leisure so that we can have sufficient focus on our work and sufficient focus on our rest and still worship Him and still persevere in Christ. Now, Exodus chapter 20, next slide, uh, God actually told his people, the Israelites, that he created the Sabbath and they were to keep the Sabbath day. So it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall, shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your manservant, nor maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, obviously, as we look back, God was very clear and strict. He made it part of the Ten Commandments that God had told his people, you must keep the seventh day and rest on the Sabbath day. And on that day, you have to keep it holy for God. Now, obviously, in the New Testament, after we've, uh, the coming of Jesus, we no longer have that strict uh, application of the Sabbath day where we have to keep that Sabbath day strictly. But I think that as we look generally from the New Testament, the, the, the principle of the Sabbath day still is helpful and applicable to us even today. Jesus said in uh, Mark, chapter two, sorry, Mark chapter 2, verse 27, next slide, he said to the people, the Sabbath was made for men and not man for the Sabbath. Okay, now obviously we don't have time to go into the whole uh, situation there about how uh, the Pharisees were making all these rules and making life really difficult for God's people on the Sabbath. But what Jesus was saying was that Sabbath was actually made 
for the benefit of mankind, for the good of mankind. Now why is that? Because God had established a rhythm of work and leisure for His people. Okay, we're not meant to work all the time, neither are we to rest all the time. We're to work hard during the week for God, and we're to rest hard for God during the Sabbath. Now again, the problem for many Christians is, we don't view Sabbath in the way that God intends, intended it to be viewed, I think. So if you're, you know, some Christians are leisure-centered. So we view the Sabbath as a time for leisure, right? So my weekends are filled with leisure and I'm here to relax and to enjoy myself and to take things easy, to do my dancing or my uh, swimming or my drinking or my, I mean, not, okay, they're kind of drinking. Uh, sorry, uh, my uh, staying out late, right? Watching lots of TV. I remember there was a family that uh, is no longer with us here today. They were Christians, okay? They, they said they were Christians. They were not unbelievers in any way. They're not part of the Atheist Society of Singapore. But they, they live with leisure at the center of their life instead of God. Instead of coming to church on Sunday, they'll say, oh, you know, we, 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 we really wanted to enjoy family time. Sunday was family time. Family time meant going out to various places, swimming, lessons, uh, going to outings at the park. But you see, the thing is, Sundays or Sabbath was not meant just for leisure. Right? It's not meant just for our leisure. It's actually meant for us to remember God. So if you look at the next slide, what did uh, the Israelites do? What were they meant to do on their Sabbath day? Leviticus chapter 23, it said, There are six days where you may work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a day to watch lots of television and to sleep in. No, it says a day of sacred assembly. Right? You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. They were meant to come together on the Sabbath day to remember God, to, to, to actually come together as God's people. And that's why the Sabbath was a time where they were meant to remember God and not just to have fun. In the same way, when we come together on a Sunday, we're actually coming together to remember God, to encourage one another, to pray, to have fellowship. Okay, Sunday is not just meant for rest, but a day to remember God. That's why God said that He made the Sabbath day holy. Now, in the same way, God also gave holidays, right? So in Israel, there will be times of national holiday. Everybody had a holiday. So Leviticus chapter 23 again, uh, same uh, passage but lower down. They were meant to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So these are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. In the fifteenth day of that month of the Lord's feast of the, sorry, feast of the unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days present an offering made to the Lord by fire. On the seventh day hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Now, if you notice here, God's people were to have a holiday, do no work. But what were they meant to be doing? They were meant to 
present an offering to the Lord. They were meant to remember God and what He did during the Passover when He brought them out of Egypt into the Promised Land. So during that holiday, people will be resting, but they will also be resting and remembering the works of God and who they were as God's people. How different it is from our modern holidays. Now what do we do during our modern holidays? See, for our modern holidays, we, as Singaporeans, eat a lot. Uh, We travel to far, far away exotic places for tours and for you know, seasides and wake up early from hotel rooms to take long bus trips every day, right? But the one thing we do not do is that we do not use our holidays to remember God. I mean, we, you go away for two weeks on tour and, uh, I mean, I've been on tour. You don't read the Bible. I mean, maybe you read for a little while, you know, just before you go to sleep at night. You don't really fellowship, you, you, you don't pray very much, you're just basically rushing from one place to another. But how different it was for God's people in those days, when they had a national holiday, they were remembering God. They were, they were coming together to praise God. And actually, when you go on holiday these days, it doesn't really give you much rest. So you work for 49 weeks of the year really, really hard, and then you rest for those three weeks. But surveys have found that most people have to work extra hours to go on holiday. That's true, right? You have to work so much harder to clear all your work to go on holiday. In fact, one out of three people around the world find that the days before holidays to be the most stressful of the year. And many people report that a week after their holidays, they feel as stressed as they were before they left. So actually, holidays don't really make you very rested. But more than that, the modern holiday doesn't help us to remember God. Uh, I think Cheryl has a very good friend, uh, who I know as well, was a Bible study leader. And in Australia, they have this very indulgent habit of uh, going for one-year holidays after they finish school or something before university. And after this friend of ours went on a round-the-world holiday, they went from being Bible studies at church to being non-Christians. Because when you go on this sort of round-the-world holiday, you have no Christian fellowship, you don't go to church anymore because you know you are having such a good time, you don't really spend your time praying or reading the Bible, you, you, are, you are just basically cutting yourself off from God for one year. So that's what really happened. You can ask Cheryl, they started out when they left, Bible study leaders when they came back, non-Christian. Because they didn't let God be the God of their leisure, isn't it? They, they went on a holiday and they forgot all about God. So in the same way for us, we must let God be the God of our leisure as well as the God of our work. And I think in conclusion, this requires trust, right? When, when you work six days or you work five days and you say, okay, it's time to rest now, it, is, it requires trust that God will allow us to keep looking after us even when we are not accessing our emails or accessing our mobile devices or popping into the office to do all these various things. And, and, and what it means is we believe that God is a good God who intends the best for us and that 
if He intends for us to work hard during the working time, then we should work hard for God and serve others and to love them and serve God in the world. But when we are meant to rest, we should work hard at our rest and allow that pattern to be there. And when we are working or resting, we should always remember that it's God who is we're doing this for God. So I hope that as you've heard today's passage, uh, if you have any questions, come and speak to me. But we really need to examine our lives and not just take on without questioning the values of this world. Oh, you know, work is the most important thing, you know. If you, if you really succeed in this job, you're going to be somebody, you're going to arrive, right? Well, actually, work is just a job that God has given us to take care of this world. And we shouldn't fall into the temptation where, you know, oh, all my life is just about working from Fridays to Sundays, or my holidays, also that I can retire at 40. Because again, that's not God's picture of leisure. Right? God must be God of our work and our, of our leisure. And if we live that way, then I think it will prevent us from falling away as Christians. And it will prevent us, I guess, from burning out like my friend uh, who was the best man at my wedding. So I hope that you can think more about your, the way you treat work and your leisure. And, and next week we're going to look at busyness. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that we will not make uh, our leisure an idol, neither will we make work as an idol. Help us to see that there is no meaning or fulfillment or purpose which is in our work. That if we try to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in our work for our lives, we are just making it an idolatry. Help us to see that work is just you putting us in this world to work it under you, to serve you, to take care of this world under you, to show love to other people through our work, to uh, be a witness uh, to the way we do our work. Help us to see too that in this world there is this great temptation to see that leisure is what we are working to. That leisure must be the centre of life. Uh, the weekend, the Friday night, uh, the holidays, the early retirement. But help us to see too that this is not your purpose for us as your people. Uh, that we are actually meant to work, and to work faithfully before you, not just for money, but to, to show our love and our stewardship of this world. And we pray that you continue to keep and watch over us, and to help us to avoid the error and temptation of these two wrong understandings. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.